go and individually strong, but banding together with other like-minded individuals makes you even stronger and also encourages you to develop your own thoughts and actions. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you subscribe in your podcast app so you don't miss out on future episodes. Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp was a protest camp established in 1981 to protest against the deployment of US Air Force-controlled, ground-launched, nuclear-armed cruise missiles at RAF Greenham Common On the eve of International Women's Day 2021, I talked with Jan Castro-Fraser, who chose to challenge the existence of nuclear weapons during the Cold War. We talk about her experiences at Greenham Common Peace Camp and other demonstrations in the 1980s, as well as how her experiences in the peace movement changed her, empowered her and made her who she is today. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can show your support via a monthly donation of $4, £3 or €3 via Patreon. Plus, you get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you are helping to preserve Cold War history. Hi, this is Tree from Berlin. I decided to support Cold War Conversations with a monthly subscription for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I really enjoyed the podcast. We moved to Berlin as we were really interested in Cold War history and it was good to live in the city with lots of constant reminders of it. And secondly, I believe it's so important and interesting to hear these stories from that period, good and bad. Books will tell you so much, but the real-life stories from people who were there make it so real. Sometimes you feel like you are there experiencing these times in history. It's important to hear these tales and I want to support this. If you want to support us, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If a financial contribution is not your cup of tea, then you can still help us by leaving written reviews wherever you listen to us, as well as sharing us on social media. It really helps us get new guests on the show. I am delighted to welcome Jan to our Cold War Conversation. Very middle class daughter of a regimental sergeant major who, when he came out of the army, became a very successful businessman. Uh, It was in Bournemouth, um, quite privileged. I went to private all-girls school. Was really meant to grow up to be a young lady and toe the line. Right. Right. (laughs) So uh, that didn't go very well then. (laughs) No, no, no. I <laughs> I think my father was none too pleased with me a lot of the time. How did you first become involved in, in peace activism? Was it like a political route? Yes, I moved away from home when I started my nurse training. And then I moved up to Oxford once I qualified. And I joined, it was called the Wallingford Peace Group, but it was part of the wider Oxford Peace Group. And I did it purely because of the bomb situation, really. Nothing else political. I wasn't aligned to the Labour Party. In fact, I've 
voted Conservative all my life. Uh, so I wasn't aligned to the Labour Party or anything like that. It was merely my concerns about housing American bombs in our country. Was it around the control of the weapons or, or the potential impact of the nuclear weapons as well? Um, both. The impact, of, of course, yes, because I used to demonstrate on Hiroshima and Nagasaki Day. So, yes, the impact, the worry about that, and the worry how much control we had over these bombs that were situated um, at Newbury. Yeah, because I remember at the time there was a lot of argument in, in the papers and, and in society about a dual-key option, wasn't there? around who actually controlled the launch of these missiles. Yes, yes, that's right, yes. Well, I wasn't happy with anyone controlling the launch, actually. I just didn't want them there at all. What was the first demonstration that you went on? Can you remember that? Uh, I think it was probably local to Oxford before I, I went to Greenham Common. I think it was just probably a, a small local one in, in the Market Square. Wellingford, yeah. And then uh, progressed on to greater things, if you like. Did you go on any of the large ones down in London? I did go to London, um, one outside the American Embassy, and I went to Fastlane as well by coach from Oxford. Right. You know, a hired coach, not a commercial, you know, chip out we hired a coach and we all went at that point were you taking part in non-violent direct action or were you just demonstrating well uh, the american embassy one involved people sitting on the floor and being then being dragged away by police officers and going back and sitting down so i don't know whether you call that demonstration or non-violent action but it it wasn't just standing there and demonstrating. The fascinating one, I think it was just standing and demonstrating, you know, placards and things like that, yeah. Yeah, I would call the, the American Embassy um, non-violent direct action, I think, if there's a direct police intervention like that. But then we're getting into technicalities. Can you describe the first time you you visited Greenham and what, what you saw? Yeah, it was always, we always went on a Friday night because we were professional working women. I don't mean we were on the streets. I mean, we had professions. <laughs> um, so we were all teachers, nurses, you know, that sort of, of woman. Um, some married with children, some not. So it was always a Friday night we went. And the first time I went, I think we went to Orange Gate, which I really can't remember. So all this now so clearly there was one side of Greenham that would have no men at all and the other side were a bit more liberal and they would allow men to visit but not stay the night and we went to that side of the gates because really the other side was not even very welcoming to us as weekend stayers I don't know. They, I, I presume they thought we were, you know, only half involved because we weren't living there all the time. But the side that we went to, those gates along that side were much more welcoming to us, welcomed um, what we brought and um, the fact that, that we're different people to, to discuss and take action with. 
So I didn't go to the very militant side. I went to the other side. Your politics must have been quite interesting because I would have thought being of conservative hue, that was relatively unusual in the peace movement. I think it probably was, but I wasn't a very political animal, I have to say. I mean, I wasn't a strong Tory. I just voted for them because, on the whole, they suited my lifestyle better. I'm just imagining, you know, discussions around the campfire on a Friday night. I I didn't tend to speak about who I voted for. Yeah, you're probably in in quite a a minority there. Yes, absolutely, yeah. What what were the, the living conditions like in in the camp? We used to fundraise for them and we used to take, you know, the Gore-Tex sleeping bags and the tents for them. But then the bailiffs would just take them away when they came. Mostly, I don't think I slept very much while I was there. I, I actually was round the campfire most of the time and let the women who lived there all the time you know, go to sleep knowing that there were other people keeping their their eye open for them. Did they have much trouble then at at the camp overnight sometimes? Yes, the bailiffs, yes, yes. They would do do a swoop and just gather up everything. So we needed to be there to let them have a sleep knowing there were people watching and if the bailiffs came, we would grab as much as we could and wake them up. Because it was common land, wasn't it? So technically, it was an illegal in- encampment. Mm, yeah. How did your family feel about your activities? My father was furious, especially when he saw me on television, <laughs> which was <laughs> a couple of times. Um, he was absolutely furious about the whole thing. Mother tended to support whatever I chose to do because she hadn't had the chance to to really follow what she believed in. Because because of of her position in society and because of when she was growing up, it was far more rigid roles for women then. Yeah, I'd completely understand a far more patriarchal structure. And then she married a man who was very controlling, of course. So she didn't say much, but I think I got the feeling that, oh, that she, definitely she was encouraging me silently, but she was rubbing her hands in glee as well. <laughs> While you were there o- over the weekends, what, what were you doing in order to protest? Well, various different things. Depends what was going on. Quite often they do a dummy run in the middle of the night as in pretending to move missiles. And then the police would be there moving us all out of the way in order for them to come through the gates and, and then back in again so many hours later. So there was that going on. So we took part in that, of course we did. And there was a lot of defacing the wire and also destroying the wire. And there was a lot of speaking to the soldiers, the other side of the wire, uh, to get their views on things. That, that was always very interesting, talking to to some of the soldiers. And they weren't particularly anti. I mean, obviously some were, but some some quite liked having a conversation about it. 
and other things, you know, like where they'd be, what, what minor war zones they'd been in, things like that, you know? So they they were okay communicating with you? I, I would have thought yeah. their orders would have been to have not spoken to you or... or... Probably, but I don't know what their orders were, but of course if they were out at a gate, you know, guarding the gate, nobody knew what they were doing. Yeah. And we'd be stood, you know, up against the wire having having a conversation and nobody would actually know. So some of them did sort of, I guess, sort of intimate that they were sympathetic to your cause. Yes, absolutely. Yes, some were sympathetic. Some were not sympathetic but interested. Well, the ones who weren't sympathetic, of course, wouldn't have spoken to us. Yeah. So, you know, we only spoke to the ones who were sympathetic or interested. These were British soldiers, because I presume the the U.S. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Air Force element were sort of kept quite a way away from the fence. Yes, yes. It was British guarding the gates, yes. When when they did these test cruise missile deployments, were you communicating with other peace activists as as well to get them to follow the convoys? No, I don't remember that, no. I did read somewhere, or I've seen a video on YouTube about a group called Cruise Watch, who used to follow the convoys. Don't remember that, I'm afraid. No, that's fine. That's fine. There was a lot of communication with the police on those, the times they brought the missile, well, the pretend missiles out and brought them back in. A lot of communication with the police and none of it very friendly. A lot of being dragged about and thrown into ditches and things like that, you know? Were the police quite violent with you at times? Not more patronising, like, come along, young lady, you can't sit there. You know, that type of... But there was one particularly violent incident that I put in a report about. I I put in a complaint in a report about particularly violent incident. And so I had to be interviewed and everything about that as well. But I, I presumed that it was because I was a senior ward sister living in a village in Oxfordshire that they took any notice of it. If it had been one of the the Greenham women who lived at Greenham who put in a complaint, I don't think there would have been so much notice taken of my complaint. What were the circumstances of that that incident that that made you complain? Another girl who was with me, um, again, a professional woman, um, a nurse, um, she and I were dragged out of my car because we'd gone by car. Uh, we were dragged out of my car and thrown into ditches. And she was actually quite heavily pregnant. 
and they could see she was. I mean, when somebody's heavily pregnant, it's not very well disguised, is it? They could see mm. she was. Um, we were both dragged out of the car and thrown into a ditch. And did the police respond to your complaint at all? Yes. Oh, yes. Um, you know, well, it was all sort of nice. It, they, they obviously sent the best PR guy and um, he was very assuring that he'd look into it. And and then I got a letter afterwards that, you know, he'd looked into it and he'd spoken to the police concerned and all the rest of it. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? But at least I felt that I, I should I should complain about it. Were you there when the um, the demonstration with the 14-mile chain, human chain? Yes, yes. That that must have been quite a spectacular day. Yes, it was, it was. And I was also there when um, the women were on the silos. Yeah, I've seen photos of that, where they're dancing on top of the um, the bunkers. Yes, yes. Um, so I was there then, and I was also a lot of days when... Everybody was gathered there. We were always pinning things to the wire, you know, and things like that. So so it was there for a lot of friendly demonstrations that that were all about unity. I I know that singing was a a very big part of the demonstrating as as well. I'm I'm not going to ask you to sing any of the songs, but can you still remember those? No. No, I can't. I really can't. All I can remember is the the um, the Indian noise we used to make. You know, with uh, with the fingers in a mouth. Right, pin back your ears. Pin back your ears. That. Right. Loads of that going on. What was that intended to do? I guess I'm going to ask. I think it was a unity thing. You know, that we'll all make this noise. We'll start here and it's a bit like a Mexican wave and it'd go all the way round. Yeah, a unity thing. Yeah, we did just to do singing in Wallingford uh, Market Square, the peace group, in, in order for fundraising. And at the same time, we used to sing at the minor strikes. Was that a bit of a contradiction around your, your politics or not? Yes, yes, it yes, it was a contradiction, although... I was I was there to support the women and the children of the miners, and it was just I don't know. It just seemed right to do it to go and entertain them, you know, by by singing and you know and, and taking them things, of course, as well. I mean, we we were there to to take food and money and things. And and as far as the sort of maintenance of the of the peace camp, this was. As, as you sort of described, with people coming with food or tents or, or clothing and being supported by peace groups from around the country. And because we were we were local, we were able to go every Friday. I didn't go every Friday, um, but some people from our group went. So there was people there every Friday. And I'm more than ever convinced since I've said it to you that it was Orange Gate that we supported. Because the, the gates were named by the colours of the rainbow, because you know our, our motto was the colour of the rainbow, the peace group's motto. Yes, yeah, I was aware that was sort of like the emblem. Yeah, and um, and we used to wear 
you know, jumpers that have been knitted in the colours of the rainbow and hats and gloves and things like that to keep us warm at night. But I'm pretty sure it was Orange Gate that we supported. Okay. Open the Wikipedia page, which is not always correct. It, it says the first camp was called Yellow Gate and then Blue Gate had a new age focus. Violet Gate was religious and Green Gate was women only, which is probably the one you've described before. What was the reaction of the the locals to Greenham Common? That I don't know. Never saw any locals um, at, at all. I have no idea. It must have devalued their houses, but I don't know. The only time I ever saw people from around that area was when we were in court at Newbury. I'm presuming that you did get arrested. Oh, yeah. How many times? Mm, Six-ish. On those occasions, what were they charging you with was it just was it obstruction of the highway obstruction or or damage when when you were arrested where did they where did they take you to Newbury Nick and we all sat you know in one of the cells there and we were up in court the next day right so an overnight stay in yeah yeah they, they got us through pretty quickly right in and out and of course the Labour Party were paying the fines of the women, um, and I wouldn't have the Labour Party pay my fines, and I paid my own fines. But I can remember my father saying to me, "And if you get arrested, don't look to me to pay your fines." And I said, "Oh, father, I've already been arrested a couple of times. I've paid my own fines." <laughs> <laughs> I can well, I can't imagine his reaction, but I've sort of got some idea. Steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> I actually got arrested also in Wallingford Town Centre. This is bizarre as well. My friend and I decided we were going to make Wallingford sit up and notice that it was, uh, I can't remember if it was Hiroshima or Nagasaki Day, one of them. Um, We made stencils of me laying in poses of being dead. And we went then went in the middle of the night before the day and painted all these on the pavements outside some of the bigger shops, like Waitrose and places like that, mm-hmm. boots um, of dead people in black on the pavements. Because there was uproar the next morning. And then the next night, we went, because we were, we were quite um, responsible citizens, we went to scrub them off the next night in the middle of the night and got arrested scrubbing them off. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? What was the charge then? Still criminal no, damage? they just took us and gave us a severe talking to. They said um, that they would speak to the shopkeepers and if they wanted to to press charges, then, then they would notify us. But of course they, they weren't going to, were they? So, um, it, so we just had a bit of a talking to. <laughs> when, when you were up, in Newbury Court, was I presume it was a ma- it was magistrates' court, wasn't it? Yeah, magistrates. Yes. Was anybody defending you? Not me personally, no. But uh, I, I don't know about all the occasions, but not me personally, and not the group that I was with. No. Did any of the group that you were with or, or yourself make any speeches in in court in terms of? mitigation for what you'd you'd done oh yes yes we were voicing our beliefs 
yes. And you you did that as well? Yes, I did that as well. Why? You know, told them why I was doing it, and why I thought I was right and they were wrong. But it, it wasn't rowdy. It was very civilised. Yeah. It was very civilised. They uh, agreed to disagree. Yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. Issued us with a, you know, £75 fine or whatever, and off you go, don't do it again, there's a good little girl type thing. The main thing I remember is being patronised such a lot. Yeah, and I think that's, as as you've said before, the 1980s was a, a different time. Women were still seen as homemakers yeah home homemakers and i can completely understand your mother seeing in you almost like gosh i wish i'd had those sort of opportunities and i really want to give my daughter as much support as i can to fulfill her opportunities and to to be independent yes yes and she'd been like that through my life with my education and things like that as well unbeknownst to my father she'd paid for one of my degrees right looking back at greenham and and the peace movement do you do you think it achieved anything no no i don't actually um well on a minor scale if you like because it made women band together and fight for what they believed in um, or didn't believe in. And so, yes, on individuals, I think it had a great impact uh, emotionally and psychologically, maybe even intellectually. Um, But in the grander scheme of things, no, I don't think we achieved... Well, we, we did achieve what we wanted to achieve, but I don't think it was because of us. Obviously, you publicised the fact that these weapons were were in the UK and how they were going to be used because the, the peace camp did generate a lot of uh, publicity. But I think what you're also saying there is the women who demonstrated there or or lived there or became involved with the peace camp were more empowered as a result of of that and realizing you know the strength of their own views and that their voice can be heard yes though an individual is strong but banding together with other like-minded individuals makes you even stronger and also encourages you to develop your own thoughts and actions and I'm, i'm sure although I, I've never had children, I'm sure it had an impact on the children of of the women of my generation who were there. Yeah, it, may, it makes you wonder how many descendants of those, both women and, and, and men who protested, you know, obviously away from Greenham, are now involved in, you know, protest movements now, such as, you know, the environmental movement. I think, well, personally... I think it never leaves you. The fact that you've you've done it and you've felt that you've done the right thing and you've felt elation and you've felt the comradeship and all the rest of it, that actually never leaves you. And you carry on 
looking for things to fight their cause. Perhaps not to such an extent as we did at Greenham, but nevertheless stand up and say your bit for, for, for other causes that need you to. I think you're right. Once, perhaps once somebody's done that, then you're not going to accept certain situations that you perhaps might have done previously. No. And although I was a successful woman before I went there, I went on to be a much more successful woman and able to fight the corner for other people. So you feel that it, it, it also delivered you personal growth? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I think without having been involved in Greenham rather than the Peace Group, without having been involved in Greenham, I don't think I would have ended up the person that I have ended up. And the other thing that I have always said was that um, I didn't want children before I went to Greenham and took part in the wider peace groups. Um, I didn't particularly want children, but I might have done. But that finished it totally when I saw the type of world I might be bringing them into. And I have never regretted that. And even now I say I am so glad I never had children because what type of world are we leading to them? I've heard that as well as one of their motives for joining peace movements is the thought of what the world is going to be for their children and what the future's going to be. So um, that it definitely resonates with with a lot of people as to why they get involved in activism. And it also echoes forward through to, um, you know, environmental activism as well. Yes, absolutely, yes. And, you know, and I do. Um, I am aware of environmental issues and much more than... Uh, a lot of the people I know, I'm, you know, my conscience is is much more attuned to what we're doing to the environment and what we're leaving to other people uh, than even people I know who have got children. They don't feel as strongly about it as I do. You know, to the point of me saying to them, "I'm really glad I don't have children." or more so grandchildren, because what on earth are we leaving for them? And they, and some, some people look at me as they're on balmy, sort of like, it, it obviously hasn't occurred to them. Have you got friends now that you still had when you were involved in the peace movement? No, no. No, I haven't, because I've moved, I moved around the country with my career, so no, I haven't. Do, do many of your your current friends know about your 1980s? activities? Yes, I've never made any secret about it at all. Yes, I would say most probably know. It must be a interesting conversation piece with Yes, <laughs> especially <laughs> with some of my friends' daughters when I talk about what I've done in my life. Um, you know, there are other things that people would think, oh, I got back to doing that. But um, and when I speak to them, they're, they're amazed and interested and um, and, and I hope I give them food for thought. That's interesting that they're interested in 
the history of of women's protests mm. and and want to hear about your experiences i mean presumably when you say to them that you were arrested six times that um their eyes widen yes oh yeah yeah and it's what aj tell me more because they all call me aj aj tell me more you know and and they are interested in it yes yeah and other and other things that i've done that haven't been particularly legal that i tell them about in fact, some things that have been very illegal that I told them about. And they've always been interested to know, you know, why and, you know, what it was like and, you know, that sort of thing, you know? So I've never, ever been shy about talking about my past and my convictions. Yeah, that's great. And I'm appreciating your your honesty and, and you know, talking talking with me on, on the podcast. Did you ever enter onto the base? Did you ever go through the wire? No, I didn't. No, no. I never had that opportunity. Although we were snipping the wire, I never snipped a hole big enough for me to go through. So if the opportunity had have been there, you would have gone on to the base? Oh, yes. Yes, I would. If you'd gone into a highly re- restricted area, the, the US Air Force were armed, weren't they? Mm, mm. Um. If somebody said stop or I fire, you would definitely stop. Yes, I would have stopped, yes. Oh, yes, not into endangering life and limb. That would have been futile. Well, I suppose I could have been a martyr, but even so, futile. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you look back over 30 years back to your time at at Greenham, or 40 years almost. 40 years, yes. what, What would you say were the most memorable moments? Um. I think the the police brutality, that was a memorable moment. The women dancing on the silos was very memorable. And just the the joy of being there and feeling that you're helping these women who are spending all their lives there. And also being in a position to do so, you know. Um, Just the whole, the emotional... Uh, feeling of of being able to help people and being in a position to help people. Did you feel that you were, you know, part of history there when you were there at the time? Not at the time, but when I look back on it, yes. Yeah, at the time it was just, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. But when I look back on it now, and especially now because I've done probably about four interviews now about it, now I think probably more important than I felt it was at the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that feeling of camaraderie and power of of women, you know, being together protesting, would you know, you'd never forget that feeling. No, no. No, definitely not. Is your feeling about nuclear weapons the same now? Yes, absolutely, yes, the same. And I would do it all over again now if I had to. That's a great line to end it on, Jan. (laughs) I'll, I'll definitely keep that one in. And we have further information such as videos and links in our show notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast without the generous support of our patrons. However, I want to especially thank our Politburo-level members who are contributing a generous 30 US dollars a month 
to keep us on the air. They are Tony Sowards, Sam Hardwick, Nicholas Butter, Jeffrey Jones, Matthew Comstock, Frederick Esposito, Jack Madwed, Mark Libantz, and Peter Ryan. Don't forget, if you like one of those Cold War Conversations coasters and help support the show, then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If you can't wait for the next episode, please visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information